this is the Africana collection room, and the books in this room are either by Africans, about Africans, yeah, by Africans and about Africans. Most of them are not by Africans, but they're about Africa. So very anthropological. Uh, they're very kind of study of the people of so-and-so. And most of them are very problematic in the way that they view the, the continent and its people. Um, and I can pull one out and explain exactly why. Let me try and find something interesting. Christianity and the race problem. Dum dum dum. Soldiers on oil. Then there's one that's on this shelf that we just learned we should never touch again because it is made out of actual hide and the way that hide was preserved way back when was either with arsenic or something else that I can't remember but it's toxic. It might be in the... Here it is, this one. So I won't even touch it anymore. So this is actually a handwritten journal of somebody's travel across from Cape to from Cape Town to Cairo. I'm just gonna touch it one last time. Even if I die of arsenic, tell my mother I love her. Oh my goodness. Mr. and Mrs. WKB, ready for safari. <laughs> it's a photograph of, I guess, Mr. and Mrs. WKB. And like they write, um, this is a memorandum of a trip to India, British East Africa, Zanzibar. German East Africa, Portuguese East Africa, Rhodesia, Cape Town, France, and Belgium, made by Mr. and Mrs. W. X. Bixby and Donald C. Bixby in 1921 and 1922. And literally, the first line is, we left St. Louis in November 27, on November 27, 1921. I'm Anjiro Koinange. And I am Angela Washuka. You're listening to A Palace for the People, a podcast about a library. Three libraries, actually. <laughs> a podcast about three libraries. If you haven't listened to our previous episodes, stop now and go back and listen and come back. Because this episode is all about... Books! Books, books, books. books. When Shiro and I took on the project of rehabilitating the Macmillan, right away everyone started asking about the books. It makes sense, right? This is a library, and libraries are where books have always lived. And art, and community, and learning, and cafes, and bookstores, and... Um... <laughs> of course. But when people think about libraries, they think about shelves, and shelves, and shelves of fastidiously organized books. Yeah, we actually inherited a whole lot of books. So many. Between the Macmillan branch, the one in Kaloleni, and the one in Makadara, there were hundreds of thousands of them. But most hadn't been checked out in years. Ooh, we have the data now, don't we? You know how I love me some data. Yes, you do. <laughs> so we have records of books, um, or a book actually, which was last checked out in 1933. Right. So, one of the first things we did when we formed BookBank was to start cataloging what exists. What kind of books were here? How many were they? What kind of condition were they in? 
It all took a while and a formidable amount of manpower. We had 23 people working for nine months, sorting through the books, labeling them, ordering them, and getting them back out on the shelf. Massive shout out, by the way, to our amazing team of book bankers who got it done. Oh my gosh, they got it done. I think we ended up with just over 137,000 items, right? Well, 137,705. Okay, sorry. (laughs) To be precise. So we're talking about classics, textbooks. There were books on photography, stuff on geography, religion. There were bound copies of newspapers dating as far back as 1906. But there was one kind of book that we didn't really find. I know what you're going to say. That's right. Books by African writers, books by African scholars and artists, books by us. When this library was opened in 1931, the books that were brought here to fill the shelves were not intended for Africans. And then even as the library changed over the decades, there were very few books added. Every time I was in the library and I saw a book by an African author, I would pull it out and have a look. We were curious about the first acquired title written by an African. Most Africans, I'd say at least of my age and older, would remember the African Writer series. It was an imprint, a very famous one, of the British publishing house Heinemann. And Heinemann had been the publisher for a lot of major European writers. So we're talking Conrad, D.H. Lawrence, that kind of profile. But they were also a really big publisher of textbooks. They were called Heinemann Educational Books. And it was this arm that began to focus its work on African literature. Oh, yes. I think I remember those from high school. Um, They were supplementary reading for our literature classes. I feel like it was for everyone across this continent. Must have been, yeah. So all the great African writers were published under this imprint. And it was a very specific sort of nationalization of African literature, if you like. Because it was the first imprint dedicated to this kind of output. It was also the greatest feeder into the curriculum that we encountered. I'm talking literally from Nairobi to Lagos. Mm, it's mad international. And wasn't Chino Achebe one of the early editors? Yes. He was an early editorial advisor. And at the beginning, Nigeria really led the way. You know the Nigers. Niger no de Carilas. <laughs> <laughs> Very early on, Heinemann established warehouses and offices in Nigeria and published writers like Achebe himself and Cyprian Ekwensi. But it was in the 70s that the center of gravity for the series moved to East Africa. There was so much happening in the 70s. The atmosphere was really vibrant. And there was also a lot of activity in um, launching books, Mm -hmm. having artists in their homes and inviting others. I look at the 70s with a lot of nostalgia. This is Dr. Henry Chakava. Dr. Chakava is a Kenyan publisher, and back in the 1970s, he was working his first job in publishing with Heinemann. The African Writer Series had recently launched, and they'd hired Dr. Chakava, who was shortly due to travel to London for a master's program. So I actually went to Heinemann, hoping to stay there for about six months for my master's degree program to start. And it so happened that when I was there, the chairman of uh, Heinemann visited, and we had an evening together. And he saw light speaking to me that he said I should go to London for one year, get experience uh, dealing with the other editors there, 
learn about publishing. Dr. Chakava went to London and later to Heinemann's operation in Nigeria, and he quickly became immersed in and enamored with the world of publishing. As I stayed more and more in Heinemann, my, my plans for postgraduate studies disappeared. So it's something that I hadn't really intended. But I found myself in publishing, and every time I wanted to go back to my studies, something happened to me. Like when I came back in 1973, I was promoted to be publishing manager. In 1976, the managing director at the very young age of 30. Early on in Dr. Chakava's time at Heinemann, the company asked him to find new voices. When the editor of the African Writers Series in London realized that I had a good literary mind, he started consulting me on what to publish. He would receive a manuscript, read it, and then forward it to his colleagues in Lagos and London. Any book was beyond the AWS number 50, which was, uh, I think number 50 was uh, Nkrumah's Neocolonialism. From then on, I was asked to advise on any new books coming out. By this time, the bulk of the books being published as part of the series were being published and read in Africa. Heinemann was seen as a way for young writers to get their work seen across Africa. The orange paperback books were quickly becoming ubiquitous in bookstores and schools. Oh yeah, I totally understand why they would be. So for Dr. Chakava, it was an amazing time. Actually, he says his greatest moments, the biggest thrills, were when he found a new talent. He recalls discovering and publishing authors like Koleo Motoso, Taban Loliong, one of my all-time favorites, Dambuzo Marachera, mm. Leonard Kibera, mm. Medjamwangi. Mm. The list goes on. I'd made up my mind always to read every manuscript that I receive, whether it is typed or not typed. Right. Uh, I promised myself that I would read anything that comes to me. This was something that paid off. In the early 1980s, Dr. Chakava received a handwritten manuscript it was for a novel that had been posted from Naivasha Maximum Security Prison. Oh, wow. Um, I think I know where this is going. You guy. <laughs> that novel went on to become the Kenyan bestseller, My Life in Crime. No way! Yeah, by John Kiriamiti. But Kiriamiti wasn't published under the African Writer Series. I have my copy right here. Oh, can I see? So it says it's originally published actually by Spear Books. Oh. Dr. Chikava, could you tell us about Spear Books? This I created because some of the, the, the books I was recommending for the African Writers Series were not accepted at the other end. I, I see. felt a bit upset about it because that series, I realized, was really intended for educational purposes. And I wanted to take a broader definition of literature. I wanted literature that could uh, both not only enlighten, but also entertain. And eventually, Dr. Chakava argued that Heinemann was publishing African books, chosen by African editors, and sold to African readers. So why was it headquartered in London? Books that I had generated over that uh, 10 years were so successful that they were accounting for about 
I believe about uh, 90% of the turnover of the company. So with that kind of statistic, I approached uh, Einemann. So he said, it's time for us to have an ownership stake in the company whose success we have created. Yes. We had a series of discussions and in um, 1986, they agreed to see 40% of the company to me. This uh, uh, opportunity was also made available in 1992 for us to buy the whole company, which we did, and we we called it East African Educational Publishers. So Dr. Chakava and his colleagues are now able to own their back catalogue and keep publishing the authors they are continuing to discover. Without pioneers like him, seeking out Kenyan and African stories, our region's publishing landscape would look very different today. Right? Right! That was amazing, Mashuka. I mean, the amount of literary history that's stored inside Dr. Chakava, ah, it's incredible. You know, Nairobi and East Africa has always had such a varied literary scene. Such important and also fun and ambitious writers. It makes it really important to me what we choose to fill the shelves with. Yep. And that is a process we have begun. Yes, we have. Mm-hmm. What a journey. Oof. So we are already on our way to getting books for the Kaloleni branch. If you remember, that is the branch for the little ones, the children. <laughs> so thanks to Dubai Cares and the International Publishers Association, a chunk of our wish list is actually on the way. Or actually, it might be here already by the time you're listening to this. I have the wish list right in front of me. We have authors like Ken Walibora, Grisel Gort, Juma Busatani, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, Lupita Nyong'o, whoop, whoop. William Kamkwamba, and even your debut novel, Shiro. Who's mine? <laughs> <laughs> the Havoc of Choice by Wanjiro Konange. Uh, but you can help us. Yes. So we have partnered with Textbook Center. And they have an online version of this wish list that we're talking about. And we'll continue to update it as we look for stock for each of the libraries. You can go to textbookcenter.com forward slash bookbank and it will pop up. Yep, like magic. And if you want to donate other books, you can contact us at hello at bookbank.org and we'll tell you how you can do that. Or if you want to donate cash, you can also do that on our website, which is bookbank.org. This episode was produced by me, Angela Washuka, Wanjiro Kwenange, and Mae Francis. Siokawa Mutonga, as always, is our lead researcher and our resident queen of fact-checking. Sound design is by Anthony Kiringe and Mae Francis. To donate or support our work, please visit bookbank.org. You can also find learning resources to go along with this episode at bookbank.org forward slash podcast. Tune in for our next episode, where we go really deep into the world of architecture. My fave. Now, most public spaces are currently closed due to COVID-19. But when they do reopen, you can visit all the branches Monday to Friday between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. and between 10 a.m. and 1 p.m. on Saturdays. We also give library tours. Please visit our website for details. This podcast is supported by the British Council. Special thanks to Dr. Henry Chakava. And many, many thanks to our stellar inventory interns who have catalogued over 137,000 books. Marion Anvango, Orpa Agunda, 
Dennis Namanda, Yvette Wanjiro, Dennis Miner, and Sylvia Nzioka, who worked with us actually until recently. And of course, Siokao Mutonga, who led this infantry team.